Welcome to the Movies on the Brain podcast. I am one of your hosts, Brian C. Wood, and with me this evening is my good friend and co-host, Chad Metz. Yes, the Chad Metz, the man who, for the last three years, has lived with a daughter who has lived in terror of Rocket the Raccoon <laughs> biting the dust. Chad, Chad, give us your thoughts on spending three-fourths of this movie dreading an, an outcome that may or may not happen. So, I knew going into it that the, the basic setup of the story was that Rocket was dying through most of the movie. I knew that. I didn't tell her that. Um, and we we really didn't like thoroughly debrief afterwards. But she did say, uh, well, one, she was like, I'm never watching this again. It's like, it's mad, mad, sad. Fair. I can see that. Um, and two, she said, technically, they did kill Rocket. I was like, because also he, but he chose to come back. Yeah. He, he, well, he, I don't know if he, he wasn't, he didn't choose so much as his friend was like, NHL time, you got one of those. But technically, her fear did come true. But as I was trying to tell her, you know, it was, while the movie is sad, it does, it, it is fairly happy and upbeat. But I mean, it is. And there's it, a dance number, for goodness sakes. There, there, there is, because. <laughs> James Gunn's got to break all that sadness, but I mean, he gave us a whole lot of sad, a whole whole lot of sad. I mean, it's it's an interesting film. It's it's one of the more narratively, more narratively complex films in Gunn's and Gunn's filmography, and um, it's dealing with a whole lot a whole lot more themes, uh, and in different ways than the previous two Garden, Guardians movies are, and I think it handles some of them better than it does others. But overall, man, there's a lot to unpack there. That there, there's a lot that James Gunn has to say about, you know, relationships between romantic partners, relationships among fa- among uh, family, relationships among among animal kingdoms. Um, there, there's a whole lot there. I mean, the whole the whole ending about save the the higher uh, higher intelligence or higher um, higher intellect, and then coming back and being like, no, it's, it's everybody. You don't just exclude one one group of people. It's everybody. Um, it, it's it's a lot, and he handles it very daftly and smartly, and that's that's to his credit as a writer and as a filmmaker. And man, if he can he can do this much with the Guardians of the Galaxy, imagine what he can do with Superman. Yeah, I'm trying not to think about it. I'm I'm just trying to relish this as it is before we get to the whole uh, next stage stage with Superman and stuff. But I mean, that that's a character that you can make a case hasn't been done in a rich thematic way really since Superman three, maybe Superman two. I mean, oh. the, 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 I mean the Donner film, the first two Donner films do, um, man of steel is great. As you know, you, you got your own personal affinity for it. And I can make a case that, um, um, Superman returns actually does some interesting narrative things with the character, but doesn't explore them in as much depth as it possibly could have. Like Singer seems to have a lot of ideas, but he doesn't know what to do with them. Gunn seems like a guy who has a lot of ideas and knows how to execute them. Yes, for the for the most part, uh, I I do like you said. There is a lot there, so I mean, naturally, there are going to be some things that aren't as developed as others. But uh, when James has, a, it seems like when James has an idea, he knows he he has a handle on how to convey that. Overall, for the most part, and I think this is a better film than the Suicide Squad. It, it's oh, more yeah, the yeah. Suicide Squad is the the Suicide Squad is more fun. I mean, you got you know freaking giant starfish monsters, but 
um, with anuses. But I mean, like this is this is you know this is a better film than that. And Chris Pratt is you know is not going to get the recognition he deserves for the kind of role that he plays um, and the depth that he brings and who else he brings to the character post Endgame. Um, and yeah, man, I just think there's a, there's a lot there. So let's let's get into it. So Chad, let's oh, start. Wait, wait, you know wait, how we one, do all these. One, one one note before we jump into that, uh, I must say that James Gunn goes into the Homeboy Hall of Fame because if you're friends with James Gunn, he's going to put you in his movies. And if he's worked with you before, or if you're married it, to James Gunn, right? right. And, and you know he's slick. He he shot his wife. I, yep, I in the leg when when she got shot. I laughed because I'm like, dude, just put just. He got to shoot his wife. We know he harasses his brother on 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 set the whole time. So yeah, he he brings you with you. He might have some fun at your expense, but if he likes you and you're talented and he's worked with you before, he's going to bring you in. Uh, hence the high uh, the high evolutionary not being some big name. It's um, I'm going to look up the pronunciation pronunciation of his name, but he got the job basically because he audit he. He auditioned while he was shooting Peacemaker and got the gig then. So, yeah. And that's a hell of a performance. And and really carries a lot of the weight, especially in the flashback sequences. Right. They're, they're, they're not, a, like, bad guys are supposed to get their ass whipped. But they're not a lot of them that I'm really, like, when it, when that time comes, I'm, like, physically and and verbally saying kick his ass because he's been asked for it the whole time. And that's that's... Uh, a credit to his performance. I also love the fact that the cult leader went too far for the cult. Yeah, I didn't know we were going to go there. And I, I really, it, it wasn't up until it happened. And I'm like, Oh, Oh, so this will be a little mutiny. I just thought he'd be like, you know, mighty all powerful. And even if he's making these terrible decisions, they were just going to follow him off the cliff. But now nah, they were like, uh, not nah, partner. Well, because that's, that's my favorite thing about this film is that, the high evolutionary's whole obsession with Rocket. First of all, he doesn't realize Rocket is still has. He knows Rocket survived, but he doesn't know how to locate. Um, that isn't until the high evolution till to the uh, Elizabeth Dubecki's character in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two runs across the Guardians and hires them to do the job that they do in Guardians Two. So once he realizes and understands from them, which is the people that he created, that um that rocket survived his obsession becomes about rocket. But what we learn throughout the course of the film is why he is obsessed with rocket. And the reason that he's obsessed with rocket is because rocket had one up on him. Rocket figured out something he couldn't figure out. Rocket was able to process a piece of information that he was not. And therefore the indication there for the high evolutionary is that he is in fact, regardless of everything that he's tried, still not perfect. And that drives him absolutely insane. And so he wants to study Rocket's brain so that he can replicate that ability to, as he says in his, his one of his last dialogues, um, innovate. Uh, he wants to take that ability to innovate and put it into other intellectual beings. But it really is from a sense of purpose. And I don't know if you've heard this word before in Guardian's ego. Um, <laughs> that he is driven to destroy Rocket because he can't stand the idea that there's another entity or power or being in the universe that 
is greater in knowledge and possess in possession of greater knowledge or a greater ability potentially than he. And, and I thought that that was probably the most thematically relevant thing that I got out of the film. And the thing that I loved the most was the fact that it wasn't just, you know, the high evolutionary being, you know, a stand in for animal cruelty or science has gone wrong or power for the sake of power driving a person mad or any of those other kind of typical tropes. It was, Really and truly, 115% about the fact that he, that Rocket understood something he didn't, and that he he couldn't stand to be second place, and that that was a that was a unique motivation and something that I really liked. Yeah, well, they, uh, I mean, in that same in that same thought, they they played up the character as uh, earlier in the film. They kind of they they said that corners of the universe think of him as a god. And he and when we get towards the end, he flat out says, "I am a like I took the place of God. I am a God because He created." All uh, I believe the exact, I believe the exact line is, "There was no God, so I became Him." Yeah, I knew, I knew it was something because she, yeah, because she, she she says, "Oh God," and he was like, "No, there yeah. is no God. Like I took His place because there yeah. was no God." Yeah, so his whole thing is is just hubris. He he's uh, done all these things. And he views himself as a god, and he technically creating all these things. He is a god to those, and he t- he took it too far until this one. Uh, what he called? Um, what did he call? He called him. Uh, I don't know. He he called Rocket a lot of names. Uh, basically, this scrap. He was he was uh, his only use is the brain. His brain. Because he was able to figure out this thing, but this useless thing figured out how to get him to where he's at, and he can't let it go. And and for at, at earlier in the movie, you know, like you said, he uh, they mask it with he masks it with the, he needs to study his brain to to figure out how to get the rest of his creations to that next step. But then in the end, it all just boils down to you you a insignificant thing did something that I couldn't and I really can't stand it. The brain is a, the brain is a good topping. I probably improve my creations, but it's all the hubris. You are insignificant. I am a guy yet. You did this thing that I couldn't do. And I hate you for it. And and it's the, it's the replication of the study over and over and over again. Like he has tried and he is trying across multiple across the universe um, to basically create the perfect, quote unquote, perfect society. Although the issue is that he keeps creating societies and they keep failing because ultimately they're not perfect because there is no such thing as a perfect utopian society that he is chasing. Right. So it's it's a fool's errand. But every time that he does, he does, he anytime he feels like it's not working or that it's failed or that it's incomplete, he just exterminates them or you know, hits the explode button. And that is a a cruelty and a menace all to itself. I mean, that is, you know, that is to say I made you and I can unmake you and start over again. It, it's, it's a unique outlook on life and on conception and on, uh, you know, religious beliefs, which you, we, we know both know James has has got a running theme of that throughout his films and even the Guardians films, the, the ego living planet situation. Um, you know, it, it just, 
it was a really fantastic performance because it makes you think about the character and it didn't just become about the animal cruelty. Because it, it could have very easily it, it could have very easily delved into, oh, look at all the horrible things this dude is doing to animals. Isn't he a horrible person? Yeah, and I mean he was doing and, some horrendous stuff. But yeah, it never came to that. Yeah. And and that that would have been the cheap way out, and I'm glad that he I'm glad that he didn't take it. Um because he, he he's a better filmmaker filmmaker than that, a better writer than that. Um, but that would be my good, Chad. Where 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 was your good on this film? I I share with you in that with uh, dang it, I just looked up how to say his name. I went, hold on, I'm gonna get it. I'm gonna get it right. His name is Chikudi Uwuji, the High Evolutionary. That's his name. Uwuji, the dude, uh, the dude who showed up to Comic Con in full in full costume last year. He, yes, he did. That that is right. That is right. Um, and. I I always thought that one was a little weird, just because we'd never seen him before, so it kind of fell out of place. But like, I think if if he were like if he were to do that now, uh, he would get a whole different reaction because he was uh, he was a presence every time he was on screen. Uh, like he, I think everyone everyone did a great job in this movie as far as the cast goes. They all had different parts. They all had uh, they all had, all had their different things to do in the story and the different growth they all shared in this. But, um, so I don't think he, I don't want, it's not to put anyone down, but he was just like, I mean, he's a villain. So he gets to do the villain thing and he makes you want to, again, when he gets his face punched, well, actually when rocket gets to him first, you want to see that happen. The only reason when I said, when rocket gets to him that first time, you're still having that trepidation because you don't know what's going to happen to Rocket. So is he going to do some other terrible stuff to him or is Rocket going to get away now? But at the end, when uh, everybody comes and they're all sharing and beating him down, he earned that through the entire movie. He earned you wanting him, wanting to see him be hurt, not just lose, not just defeated. You wanted to see him get hurt. Because every time he showed up on screen, he just got worse and worse, and and the, and it it doesn't hurt that he's doing these things to adorable animals, and yeah, that it's he just did a phenomenal job uh, in in making that that part that villain um, fully formed within this movie to where you know you you get to the point where. Besides wanting to see our heroes win, you really, 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 really want to see him lose. Yeah, and and I'm glad that they they went that way, and I'm glad that uh, glad that they did things that that made the heel work, the heel the heel turn in this work. Um, you know, because there's there's the gunshot, right? Like the shot of him shooting the little otter, and like that mm. just pushes things to another level, and then. His whole several rants after that push it to an even higher level, and it's just it built. It's a momentous, it, it, it's a momentous villain role because it it builds on itself over the course of the movie. You started like a four, and then it works its way up to an eleven, and I think that that's what good good to great villain roles do. You know, not everybody can be Vader and just you know choke a dude right as soon as he walks in the building and just announces his presence as you know. Probably a guy you don't want to mess with. Never mind the fact you don't even know he has a laser sword yet. Um, you know, so, 
but I like guys like that. I like I like Michael Corleone. You know, you start out rooting for Michael. Like you think Michael is the good guy, and Michael's gonna gonna t- you know be the one to take the family honest and all the things. And then slowly but surely, as 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 time goes on, and you go throughout the film, and you just watch his his dem- you know the moral choices that he makes and the the choices that are made for him and how those impact him, and and that that evolves him into the 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 person that he is at the end, sitting on a bench alone. With no wife and no kids and no and and a dead brother, so like it, it's two well two dead brothers and a dead father. So, I, I mean, it, it's I like those kind of momentum building roles. I think they this this definitely was one of them. And, uh, I, I'll throw it in here. I know we'll talk about everything as we're going along, but uh, the core Guardians cast uh, again. I said I think they did, all did a great job, um, particular. Because they all got moments, like you know, this is even this is Rocket's story, even though we don't physically have like current day Rocket through most of it. It's Rocket's story, and they they give us all the emotion there. But you see growth in characters, like and particularly Mantis, Drax, and Nebula, and um, you see growth through the whole movie. And then it kind of once we get to the end, you kind of like supercharge that. And we we see different sides to them. Um, yeah, it, it's like graduating high school. Like you're not the same person you you started as as a freshman. And like by the time you get to gra- high school graduation, you're a different person, and people are moving in different directions, and they're they're growing and changing. And I felt like that was what that last twenty or so minutes of the film was was recognizing everybody kind of recognizing what their place was and where they were going to go off to college. You know. Um, you know, I'm going to go over here and do this. I'm going to go over here and do that. Like, but it's because of the journey they've been on through three films or well, five films, really six, if you want to count the little two minutes sent in, in love and thunder. Um, and they've also just been working together for so long, a decade plus. And, uh, you know, it would have been, I'd be very interested to see what this film would have looked like if James Gunn had never had to leave. And it had just been made quickly after infinite, after in game. Uh, yeah, I I thought about that too. Uh, I mean, we'll never know. I mean, it's from everything we understand, it's basically this story because um, as they've been making the rounds, the story of him getting fired has come up again, and they yeah, fired him. Yeah, there was that whole Hollywood. There was that whole Hollywood reporter piece. I think I sent that to you, didn't I? Yeah, um, yeah, I read that. that yeah, that, that that tells the story of how it happened. Yeah, and and yeah, uh, it, and and. Uh, Pratt going to church. <laughs> he, yeah, he went to church. Uh, and yeah, how they got, how they, in their different ways, voiced their disapproval and how they tried to work James back in it. And one of the things he noted as, see, as seeing like the, the chink in the armor where he's, where he, I think he really started to, do, he knew the tide was turning and that they were going to get James back was that they fired him, but they kept his script, which, from everything I understand, it's still pretty much what we got here. So I don't know how, I don't know if it would have been much different. Uh, well, they had to, because it wasn't an, it wasn't an Ant-Man thing. You can fire Edgar Wright off of Ant-Man and go hire Peyton Reed, let, and give, give uh, Paul Rudd uh, and uh, Adam McKay in five weeks in a room and write, write out a Ant-Man script because no one knows what an Ant-Man movie is. The context for a Guardians movie is a James Gunn movie. 
there is distinct that is a distinct personality and style that is imprinted on that franchise by him. Like you would have had to have used his script because a they were so far along in development already on the film at that point, but b because it would have been you couldn't you couldn't take F. Gary Gray and put him in in Guardians and have and have him shoot a James Gunn script that wasn't going to work. I mean, yeah, you in technically well not technically you're right it would have been like completely different and using his script is the least they could have done but if but i think when pratt is talking about it um he's like you know if he's this bad that we have to fire him from being a director you probably should toss the script too saying since you're not tossing the script that probably means you're softening on your stance and we know that's what happened yeah i mean it also is just you're 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 trying to save face because some old tweets popped up and you had a bad news cycle for a week, right. which is essentially essentially what happened. They capitulated to the to the to the radicals and the the, the crazies and and let that influence their decision making. And instead of writing out a bad PR hit for a couple of weeks about jokes about a water uh, the shower the water pressure in a shower head, um, they they made a decision and. DC benefited from that decision. Um, without that decision, there's no, there's no guardian. There's there's no, the Suicide Squad. There's no Peacemaker, and Warner Brothers never works with Gunn, and Warner Brothers never considers him to take over DC. So like, there's a whole ripple effect to the decision by a couple of higher ups that were higher than Kevin, because Kevin clearly wanted to keep him. Um, you know, there was there was decision making that affected the entire course of the company. Uh, and uh getting fired was like the best thing to happen to James because it it ends with him being over DC. If he doesn't get fired that none of that happened. So yeah. So what did you, what did you who do you think had the better arc or, or de, not arc I should say but better character development. Did they do better with Quill or did they do better with Gamora? Because I feel like I didn't really see Gamora change all that much. I think she gets bits and pieces of why she would have made a turn and felt for this person, but I don't think she ever gets to that that place where it's like, let me put the headphones on you and let's dance and that kind of thing. Whereas with Quill, Quill seems at peace by the end. You know, Quill Quill seems like he he makes his peace with the ghost that's in front of him, and and I think that that's that to me was a little bit more of a, a surprise. Right. Um, I. I agree with you. Um, I, th- I think you said it. You saw Gamora didn't change as much, but she did see, like she she started off not understanding how she could have ever been with a person like like Quill, and by the end of it, and you and you can see it through the movie, uh, just little parts here and there, and not even and it's not even just Quill. It's also how she could be with these people and why would these people be something to her and why do they mean something to each other? And she sees that through the whole, she starts seeing that through the whole thing. And she sees moments with Peter and understands him more. So by the end, yeah, she, she's not going to stay with him, but she understands. She understands how the person that she was came into it with these guys. Why do they, how they bonded and how she started to bond with them in just that short amount of time and why she might have fell for Peter Quill. She's still not, but she said, I'm still not that person. But 
I understand. I understand. Whereas Peter, the whole thing has been uh, this traumatic thing happened to him as a kid, and he never wants to go back since. And I think his while he has that arc from this movie because he his arc goes from losing Gamora and having Gamora, but not his Gamora compounds all of the stuff he's already been going through, and he just he's taking a drinking and and being drunk. Uh, and you can kind of see parts of this in the, you can kind of see him being in this kind of rut to start the uh, the holiday special. So this is a thing with him. And love and, and love and thunder. And, yes, and love and thunder. So they kind of kept him in that place to start the so through those things to start him at this movie, pretty much the lowest that he's been. Um, but coming through and almost losing Rocket and seeing he lost Gamora, but. Having Rocket and having a chance to save Rocket, but having to watch Rocket die, potentially die, and not being able to save him, it I, I think that awakens everything else, and he and that's his whole arc to end up going back home. Like it's been even in the second one, Gamora's like, "You could have gone home. You've never gone home. Why are you afraid to go home?" And he rushes it off. So yeah, he I, he had the bigger arc because. The thing that he's been running from, he said it, the thing he's been running from since we've known him, uh, he's, he's got to find, he's finally decided to stop running. So he goes home uh, to, to see, his, see his family. So yeah, he had, the, he had the greater arc in this one. But I do appreciate Gamora because a lot of people would have had her be with them, see these things, and then entertain or actually get with him at the end. This is saying... This was acknowledging all those things and that she had a little bit of growth, but also in that growth, realizing I'm still not that person, so I can't be here. And him having the growth to accept that. Yeah, it's it's the ghost of what was. Like that's that's living literally living with a ghost. You can she outwardly looks like the same person, but she's not the person that fell in love with her him and went on this journey together for three years or five years or however long it was. And so, like, she has her own journey and her own footpaths and her own everything. Because remember, she is a woman ripped from her own time, too. Thanos brought her along from 2014, right? Right. So, like, so like since Endgame, she's had to define the Ravagers and be her own thing. Because up until this point, she's never known life without Thanos. And that's something that, our, that the Gamora of the original timeline did. Gamora left Thanos. He, you know, went off and did things. She she went up and did things and um so you know it, it's 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 just it, to me it was a it was interesting to see the development of those two arcs and and to see to see it come to see the relationship Mantis and and Peter have had you know had and that Mantis kind of pushes them to go you know to stop stop popping lily pads and start trying to swim um you know and I think that him going bring it full circle. The opening scenes of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume One is of Peter uh, losing his mother, uh, thanks to thanks to ego, um, losing his mother, and then being taken by Yondu and his uh, his granddad. You know, basically chasing him out the hotel, the the uh, guilting him out of the uh, hospital room. And here we are, come full circle with you know his his grandfather being in care of another individual, but still alive and. And hugging him, and uh, shout out to them for keeping the same same, yeah, same lady. With, and, yeah, 
Well, the same actor for the grandfather and the same actor as the grandfather's girlfriend that we saw briefly in volume two that people may or may not know was in the movie. Yeah. And and the other the other part for that for me was uh Homeboy had to know his dude that that Star Wars Star Lord was uh Star Wars Star Lord was Peter, like Peter still existed or still was still okay because there was footage from the 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 whole Avengers stuff. So like I'm sure he would have seen Peter at some point on the news, huh? I mean then so I this is me. It's playing. either that or, or maybe I mean, I'm pretty sure Star Lord and his little his little adventures would have ended up in in Paul Rudd's book, right? In in Ant Man's book or podcast. Um. So okay. So I don't think there would have been footage of the actual fight because uh, it was in upstate New York at the compound. Nobody was around there. I do think there would have been like there's stories of the fight that had gotten out. Uh, yes. As for Ant-Man's... yeah, because we we know from we yeah we know from Miss Marvel that Ant Man. That Paul, Ant Man has a podcast, and that yeah, that some of the stories about Captain Marvel or how she knows them is from that podcast. Yeah, so from his book and from the podcast, you probably hear about the Guardians. Now, it depends on how much he was around them afterwards, but I I imagine there's a lot of Nebula and a lot of Rocket in there because they were still around for the uh, uh, for the blip, and when he came. When he came out of the quantum realm, they would have been around. He would have spent a lot of time with them. The rest of them, you know, they fight the battle. I don't know if they, they're all hanging around for him to be like, to know their names. So the, the grandfather probably could have heard of Star-Lord. Does he know? But maybe not made the, maybe not make the connection. Right, right. We don't know. He may not know the name Peter. The P, name Peter Quill might not be associated with Star-Lord. Or they may have just said the Guardians or something like that. So there's a possibility he knows, but there's also a possibility that he has no idea. But I kind of think it's pushing towards not having any idea. Maybe being aware of the Guardians, but not that his grandson is part of them. Indeed. So Chad, uh, what was your not what was your uh, not so good on this one? Uh, so uh, a smaller one uh, is that. Uh, so they changed composers for this time around for the Guardians. Uh, Brian Tyler did the first two. He composed the Guardians theme, which, in my opinion, is the probably the second most re- recognizable theme in the Marvel universe after um, after Avengers. Uh, you know, because we went through this. By the way, that, that we 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 talk a lot about composers over time, and you know, guys like John Williams who have these outstanding careers where you just have banger after banger. Alan Silvestri is on that list. Oh yeah. Like if you actually, like if you just look at his CV of like memorable film scores, like that dude's got a hall of fame record resume. Yeah. I I mean, I'm as long as I've known John Williams name, I've known Alvin Silvestri's and mostly because I know I knew it from uh, back to the future. Uh, but he, I mean, he got that, he got Roger Rabbit uh, off the top of my head. He's got, uh, I think Avengers is what pushes him over uh, because that is, I mean, that is, it's played at college football games now. You play, you play that music, people know exactly who it is. And that's the mark of a, a great theme. So yeah, he he's up there. Uh, yeah, it was uh, his, his call to have the, uh, the drum beats start with the portal scene. 
because there was no music there. And he was like, let's put this in there, see how that works. Yeah, he, he made some good calls on that one. Um, yeah, it, the Avengers theme on top of the uh, the moments in um, in 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 game, which the portal scene, everybody at this point, everybody knows this is a separate thing too. Uh, he put the music. He he made the music cues for the uh, the Captain America scene from when, when he fights with Mjolnir, uh, which is also he composed the Captain America theme. Which I love that one, but a lot of people don't seem to know it. But uh, anyway, Brian Tyler did the first two. He composed the, the Guardians theme. You hear that, you know, it's Guardians. Uh, even if people don't really think about it, if I were to play that, people would automatically know it's the Guardians. Uh, I didn't have an issue. With the the composition of this movie, I forget. I want to say that the composer's name was like John Murphy or something like that. I'll look it up in a minute. But uh, I thought the score was fine. I'm pretty sure if I go back and listen to it, I'm actually going to like it. My only thing is that uh, there was a lack of the Guardian theme, which is always my uh, my thing. Yeah, you don't you, you don't really use it until the end. Right. Right. And. My thing when you change composers, a lot of time those new composers don't they'll use the motifs from the, the the original movie, but do new things too. And with something with Guardians being so recognizable, I wanted their theme to stay intact. Now the argument could be that by the nature of this movie, they're, yeah, they're not all together until the end, right? So you don't use it till the end, and it's not, but it's still not. I still could have used a little bit more of it towards the end. Uh, but that's like my, you know, that's why it's not so good. It's not something I hate. It's just um, something I noticed. Yeah, while while we're on this discussion of composers, which I know is near and dear to your heart, Chad, yeah. um, as Chad could do an entire episode and has done an entire episode of this yes. podcast just based on, on composers and themes for certain characters from BC, um, is John, John Williams is a sole, sole composer on Dial of Destiny, right? There's no one else. As far That'll as that'll be know, like yes. his song song. Yes, as far as I know, yes. Yeah, it is John Murphy. His name is John Murphy. Look at that. I remember that. So, I mean, I just, I was like, you know, are they going to really let let him be his last? Let let this be his last thing. Is this movie that may or may not be any good? <laughs> I mean, he's been saying he's going to retire for years. Wait, it's what ninety four now? That's so I'm, I'm looking it up right now. Uh, He's ninety one. He just turned ninety one. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 he's ninety one. He's from Louisiana, right? Uh, no, he's from uh New York. I thought he went to LSU at one point. No, no, no. Or maybe you're thinking, he about, you're thinking about you're thinking about Canton. Ah, let me make sure. Yeah, he went. He did Juilliard and all that stuff. No, it's uh, it's Bill Conti who I seen at uh one of those LSU graduations. He came back. Uh, that did the the theme of, for Rocky and the Karate Kid. Ah. So, um, yeah, my my not-so-good here would be, what ironically enough, be the needle drops. I didn't feel that every needle drop worked with the story, and I felt like there were some needle drops that were just kind of left me, like, hanging a bit. Um, but I, I didn't feel like the music drops were... Like, there was nothing that... There was nothing that caught me nearly as well as uh, Father and Son did at the end of uh, Guardians 2 or Come and Get Your Love at the beginning of the first Guardians movie. There wasn't that, like, connection between scene and song as well in this one, I thought, as the previous two. But that's 
that's again, that's more me. That that's uh, the music near and dear to your heart, and so I'd, I'd like like your thoughts on that. But that was definitely my not so good. Uh, I can I can see with the needle drops. Um, this the tracks for this one are the of all the Guardians movies. This is the soundtrack that I'm the least familiar with. So I didn't have a lot of connection with the songs going in. So when I uh so when I hear them in the movie, there were a couple I was like, okay, this is kind of a this seems like a place that you gotta kinda have to put a song, but I don't really know about this song or do you really need to do this in this song? But there I mean, but there are some that were like accurate, very accurate, like decided to start the movie off more somber by going with Creep and having Rocket sing Creep. And if you, if you know the lyrics to Creep, the parts that they, they emphasize of singing uh, fit how he feels about himself. He's a creep. He's a weirdo. What am I doing here? I mean, that's everything about Rocket right there. I thought that was hella appropriate. But there are lots of other ones. Like, I don't even remember some which is, of them, which so. is a different which, which is a different way than the person who loved him. Like, the way she made him feel. Right. Uh, now, the one that I do remember, uh, and I was quite overjoyed with, was uh, I knew, like I knew the track list going in. Again, I didn't know most of those songs, but I saw Earth, Wind, and Fire, and Earth, Wind, and Fire is like my favorite group of all time, and its reasons, uh, one of their more popular songs. Uh, so I knew it was going to be in there. Had no idea how it was going to be used, and I never thought I was going to be going in watching Earth, Wind, and Fire's ballad breakup ballot reasons uh be used during a space fight uh but that's what happened and i was completely overjoyed and uh excited uh when it happened I, when the song started i started singing and my daughter's like stop stop don't I'm like no don't for the fire no we doing this uh so i had a good time with that one uh it it is so not the type of song that you put a fight to but I mean, a lot of people might not like it. I did because I liked the song and it was a different way than I would have thought it would have been used. So I, th- I found it fun. Yeah. I mean, like I said, they were, like the use of father and son in most things makes me emotional just because if you use it right, it can be very powerful in a, in an emotional context. And certainly the end, the end and the fireworks and the whole, the whole finale of, volume two it, it just resonates and fits that very very well and and they're just the music was such a huge a huge part i was almost a character itself in the first movie right. so like it was something i was looking forward to and, and looking out for and of course the track list has been out there for about a month now mm-hmm. but um it, it like it just wasn't there were some needle drops that just didn't work for me but then again there were some scenes like there were whole sections, and we'll get to that in a minute, that didn't make, like, I could have completely done without them. But, uh, but yeah, I thought that that was, you know, maybe not as good as it could have been. Right. And uh, to your point, like, the comparing the end of volume two with Father and Sons and how that all fit together, the song that he chose at the end, especially for the vibe he was going for, it seemed like he was going for, you know, this is a happy vibe. It is a happy ending, but it's tinged with sadness because everybody's going different ways. No, I, I recognize that. That I recognize that. That's uh, Florence and the Machine. I just I didn't know which Florence and the Machine song it was, but I, I recognize that being Florence and the Machine. 
uh, because Between Two Lungs is one of my favorite songs. But like, it did. It, you're right. It's not a. It's not a, a jump around type song. It's a. It, it's it's a different kind of indie song. Right, and I don't. It, I would have gone. I would have gone with something more popular there, just to so people understand the vibe you're going for. I don't know. I don't have a song in mind, but like I didn't know the song, so. I have I have that disconnect with it, and to me it kind of didn't fit the, like it felt it fit the somberness, but it didn't fit the the jovial side that the, the, the joy playing. the joy yeah. vibe and and it and to me it's more like it doesn't seem like a Paul Rocket or Peter would be hanging out chilling to like it doesn't seem like something that would be on either one of their playlists so that was kind of also a thing for me oh see see that I can excuse because you know he's got the the zoom now. He didn't. He didn't the curate the zoom. Yeah. It's just loaded with crap. Yeah, the zoom that almost killed him. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Chad, who wants to go first on the on the uh, bad? Um, I mean, I'll go. Uh, like most of the times with me with these, I don't really have like super super bad, but you know it. It did. I did feel the time at towards the end. While I others like, there's never a point that I was like tired of the movie. I was cognizant of the time at, at a certain point. Um, and I don't want to say he was a waste, but there's not much to Adam Warlock in this movie. I mean, he is the he is the exciting incident, but that's kind of it. He doesn't even he's not really even like chasing them after a point. No, he, he, and he does he does it on accident. <laughs> he he sets but, Rocket's thing off on accident. Right, because yeah, he's supposed to get, he's supposed to go and get Rocky. He ends up almost killing him and himself in the process. But then he's he's gone for a long stretch of the movie, and there is a long stretch of the movie where we don't see him, and we don't see the High Evolutionary. Now, once we, once we get to the High Evolutionary with with Warlock that first time, High Evolutionary is kind of steadily there, but that's like forty five minutes. I want to say it's like forty five minutes into the movie. For Adam, like he shows up there and it's like spot, spot, spot. Then he's there at the end, and he's not much at the end either. So now, see, I'm I'm good with that because A, like he's there your as your inciting incident. He carries over from the previous movie. You're putting him on the board, like the the chessboard of, of, of pieces that you've got. And also like He's doing this for his mom. Is just sending him out to do this stuff, and he's like a teenage kid with a car for the first. Like he's he's not a fully formed being that like even even Elizabeth even the the the, uh, the high priestess forget what the high priestess even 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 she's like you know you let him out of the cocoon a little bit early yeah you know um so so they're very much like he's rough around the, and and James is very obvious about that. Uh, I did like the badass opening where every guardian takes their shot at taking care of him and he just obliterates them because yeah. it, it reminded me very much. It reminded me very much of that scene in Infinity War where you're like, oh, Holt's got this. <laughs> and then Thanos proceeds to beat Holt down so badly that Holt never wants to come out to play again. Uh, you know, it, it's it's that kind of thing. And, and I like that it establishes that he can be powerful. It also establishes that he doesn't know how to harness all of that power yet. Um, my bigger issue with that is that they underplayed that he also now doesn't have a family. 
when when the the planet when the semi Earth or the reflective Earth or whatever alternate Earth or whatever is being blown up because again it didn't the experiment didn't work. Um, he can't save his mother. He's flying to save his mother, and his mother blows up in his face, literally. Right. And so he he also at the end is left without a family, and he's given and shown forgiveness and grace by by uh, Groot of all people, who says something other than I am Groot this time. Um, and he's shown compassion, and he he now has has this little family of his own in this group of misfits that's floating around throughout space. Uh, you know, and so I appreciated his arc and I appreciated Will Poulter's, uh, performance. I don't think they did enough with him, but then again, your, your primary antagonist is not the high evolutionary. It's, uh, is, is not Adam Warlock. It's the high evolutionary and the high evolutionary himself says there's like, they're a secondary option. Like they're, they're, they're the secondary. I know where they're going. Like, I'm just going to let them pile around the galaxy and do whatever. So even he is dismissive of Adam Warlock in the high priestess. So um, I thought that was the movie's kind of way of telling you, this is where your focus needs to be. So, yeah. I didn't, I understood why they did what they did with him and the bottom time. Uh, so I'm not, I'm not saying that, uh, you know, for the purposes of our discussion, it's the bad, but I'm not saying it's a, a thing that I necessarily disagree with. It's just for the excitement of Adam, Adam Warlock. He doesn't do a whole lot, but he serves. No, so it's, it's kind of like kind of it's kind of like Harry Styles' character at the end credit scene of uh, Eternal, like the you know, or the Blade voiceover at the uh, in the post credit thing for uh, for Eternals. It's like it gets you excited about what can be. He exists. He's on the board. You know what that char- kind of a history that character has in the comics, but its debut is his debut has not been fantastic. Right, right. He he has potential, but uh, uh, if you expected it to be realized here, then you are mistaken. But uh, it's you know, yeah, we Hercules the same way, and Hercules the same way as Love and Thunder. Like, okay, now we know he's on the board. We we don't really know how good he's going to be or or what what plan is going to be for him, but we we know he exists, and that opens up a whole other level to potentially the MCU with the with actual you know Greek gods and stuff. Which is a part of Marvel canon, as it is a part of DC canon. So, um, my not my bad. Uh, I have a couple, a few things, a few things here. Uh, number one, you can cut a large portion of the goofy, organically grown space station stuff, and I am completely fine. Like I got you get you get a good good chance to get some friends in, get some good cameo, get some good cameos. Um, you you give Gamora a reason to start showing up, but like that set piece doesn't do anything for me, and it doesn't it it the only it doesn't really advance the plot strong enough. I feel like there could have been another way you could have found Rocket's deactivation code or whatever it was, uh, because it still takes them a hot minute to get there. Because you see old homeboy leave, like Peter literally bumps into him, and they they literally keep the frame on dude. So it's not like it was a passing thing like you were supposed to miss. It was like a blatant, oh, this guy just snuck in and took all the information our heroes need. So really they're doing this for absolutely no reason. Right. And and at that point, I just kind of mentally checked out on that set piece. I was like, this is a fun space set piece, but 
I've seen better and James has done better, you know, so I, I could have done without that. Um, there's a Mantis and Drax scene I have a problem with in this movie um, that I don't think a lot of people are going to have a problem with. Um, but it, it's personal to me. Um, the three-way conversation between Mantis, Drax, and uh, Nebula, where Nebula and, and, and uh, Mantis are basically having a conversation about how Drax is dumb. Uh-huh. And they're having, like, an expressive conversation about their feelings about him in, in, a, in an open and emotional way that he responds to. Like normally it's, it's Batista and Dave, Dave Batista and Drax just laughing it off and being ha ha. And they actually address it. And there's a conversation and there's a confrontation in that scene, which is wonderful and much needed and something that, that should have happened. But the rest, the the, rem, the remedy for that scene, or the resolution for that scene is to have Mantis decide to do something that she doesn't really do all that often to Guardians, which is make him forget because he's sad because his friends think he's stupid. And so instead of dealing with that throughout the rest of the film in a mature adult way, you brought it up and then you took the easy way out with the, you know, forget. And and that that I had a problem with because I felt like you could have still made the whole dad thing work at the end, uh, reminding him of his daughter and and reminding him of his family back home and and what he was and the man he was before he became this violent creature. Um, you know, I, I think you could have made all that work with that conversation still having some kind of emotional resonance. No, I I so I get that point. Um, I did think it was a little out of characteristic for Mantis to do it and to, uh, to like erase that moment. Um, but at that part of the movie, we're like actually moving at a decent pace. So it's, it wasn't something that came to mind like, off the top, but, uh, I do, it did stand out to me when it happened. So, you know, I get, I get why you have it. Here. Yeah. Because it, it's, it's like the, it, you know, how many times I've referenced the end of Deadpool two on this podcast, like, your entire movie just got erased by your pot, by, by your post credits. Like the whole motivation, Victoria's death is the whole, the whole deal in Deadpool two. It is like the impetus for all the crazy shit that goes on in that film. And then you come back at the end and you undo it, <laughs> literally undo it. And it's like, so none of this mattered at all. So like, really he's just the same way that was existing before this movie even happened. You know, I, I, I it's very, very, very uncommon for her to use her powers on her friends and to make them forget. And and that that didn't feel like the moment where they should have that she should have taken that opportunity. But that that again was just me. Uh, the the other bad, uh, the last bad that I had was um, the fact that nowhere is now like a mobile thing. Like it's just a mobile home. You can blast it anywhere in the anywhere in the world that you want. You know, you can just you can just take it take it wherever you want. It, it just it was a floating space station that now you somehow put put boosters on? Question mark. Uh, I'm I'm not going to begrudge in moving a giant uh, floating space celestial head. head. Yeah, a celestial head. And even even the high uh, even the uh, high evolutionary recognizes it as a celestial head. Right, and you know that. When we're, when we're dealing with a world that's had a a living planet 
And so one movie. scene, one scene, one scene. We had I a mean, living planet. The rest we had Kurt Russell. I mean, yes, technically, but when you've had that, um, still one of my favorite episodes of the three hundred episodes of this podcast. Me and you sitting in a in a room at Middleton Library talking about the concept of how they were going to do Ego, the Living Planet, when it broke. Yeah, we did talk about that. Uh, but I can't progress them with this head thing. It, it, you know, it's no more ridiculous than Ego. So it's cool. No, but but how? But why does it need to move? Where does it need to go? Like, it's their home base. Isn't a base the purpose of a base to be in one place so that every all of your people know where it is, especially when, you know, it's now housing a bunch of people. That I mean, I, I see the point, but it's fine. I'm fine with it. Um, thoughts, feelings, uh, opinions on cameos in this particular film? None EC, MCU impactful, but like just your your standard, you know, James Gunn's wife, uh, friends of James Gunn. Anything that really stood out to you uh, about the cameos in this movie? No, not really. They were. Uh... You know, they were just fun things. Most of them, again, James Gunn, Homeboy Hall of Fame, friends and friends and family and people that he likes to work with. Uh, Stallone got to come in for like a day, collect a check. Uh, they, you know, they physically had uh, um, Smallville Lex Luthor. It seems like he was physically there this time as opposed to just a digital character from the last movie. Um, you know, Nathan Fillion is there. We get to actually see him this time. He's technically been in, well, he's been in the first one. I know he did some things for the second one. I don't know if we ever got to see them, but we actually see him as himself in a, albeit ridiculous suit. Uh, so yeah. Oh. In, a ridi- in, a, in a ridiculous, in a ridiculous role. Right. Right. Uh, it, it was a nice touch to bring back, uh, Bring back Yandu for a second. Uh, I didn't think we'd get it, but we got it, and the place we got it made sense and doesn't take away from anything. So I thought that one was enough. Uh, so there, there are two that I'm really, really high on. One is our good friend, um, uh, our, our good friend, Mr. Howard the Duck. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. The fact that Howard the that Howard the Duck has appeared in all three of these Guardians movies, that he's established MCU canon, and that you know. Um, you know, that we that we have an opportunity to maybe one day have a Howard the Duck animated show or Howard the Duck movie, God forbid, would be uh would be awesome and would be awesome and amazing. So because he's been he's been in four movies. Yep. All three of these and endgame, again, blinking you miss him. But I can from the first time I saw him, I cannot not see him anymore. Like he just sticks out for that one second. Yep, I can't. Uh, I can't wait for the uh, online petitions to get uh, Leah Thompson to direct a uh, Seth Green voiced uh, Howard the Duck movie. That that uh, would just be a joy. I didn't know she directed stuff, but if she does, yeah, uh, I'm on board with that. Yep, yep. Her her directing with James Gunn writing and, and Seth Green voicing that would be uh, that'd be a comedy trio for the ages. Well, James Gunn ain't writing it. That that ship sailed. So the other thing that I, uh, the other cameo that I really liked, I don't necessarily think you need to consider it a cameo as much as the second best performance in this movie. Our good friend, friends and geeks, uh, freaks and geeks alumni, good burger uh, alumni, madman alumni, Linda Cardellini, wife of Hawkeye, voice of the otter. 
Yep, I yeah, I knew that was her. Uh and I I love seeing Linda Carlini in anything she does. Uh also a bit of a reunion because James Gunn wrote a damn Scooby-Doo movie, which she starred in as Velma. So there's that connection. Two? Yep. Uh so you love them. Yeah, she uh all of those little characters were uh they they had a purpose. Their purpose was to, was to humanize further humanize Rocky for you and then devastate you when they die in front of Rocky's eyes and he blames himself for it. But uh Lila is her character's name in particular. She was supposed to bring that warmth and empathy and that feeling of love uh that made Rocket feel like he was something and then to have that take away and then reinforce the feelings of what uh, the high evolutionary told him was that he was worth the scraps. They all were worth the scraps and that uh, they needed to be destroyed. I think she did a good, like her character, like that's her, of the three, she's the one that's supposed to give you all those feelings. The other two, you're just supposed to understand that Rocket can make those connections, but she's supposed to bring, really bring home that Rocket is loved and loves other things. And the warmth yeah, is in the car. Because he, ha- he has the compassion. He has the compassion for his friends that once he finds out that they're all going to die, he tries to help them get out of the situation. Because he wants his friend group to fly away the far beyond to the happily forever. Right. He And it's, it's to show that he's always had that compassion. He just kind of held it back because it's all, it, it got his friends killed. And he doesn't want to lose anybody else. And he doesn't want to feel worthless. That's what those friends are meant to convey in this movie. Yeah, we still don't know after three movies how Rocket and Groot ended up together. Uh, No, no, we don't. Uh, I kind of thought for a brief second, I thought uh, maybe we get that. But no, I don't think that's as important, especially since James has gone on record as saying that these three movies are about the damn raccoon, which also, uh, who, uh, we got the damn payoff line from that. Through all of these damn movies, anytime he says he's a raccoon, somebody says he's a raccoon, he, his first, the first time somebody called him a raccoon, he's like, what is that? And ever since then, it's like, I am not. It's only been Rocket. Even though we know the name, the character's name is Rocket Raccoon, and this movie gave us, finally gave us a payoff, he is Rocket Raccoon. Yeah, it was it was his Avengers Assemble moment. Right. I, I don't know. I, I hope more people enjoyed it than just me, but I enjoyed the hell out of it when he finally read the when he read the little thing and it said raccoon and he looked at them again. It was like and he put it together. He was a little woodland creature from Earth that the high evolutionary just brought with him and he named himself Rocket, but he is a raccoon and he, he embraced it all in his moment of kicking the high evolutionary's ass. Yeah. And and it was it was much appreciated and and a lot of catharsis and build up to that moment that that really worked and and mm-hmm. there's a lot about this movie that does work on an emotional level and a thematical level especially as a, a trilogy capper right so all that being said everybody's still on the board yep well granted okay. granted they're in different places granted they're in different places scattered across the universe with different animal friends. Um, you have a brand new Guardians lineup. Um, your thoughts, sir? Um, you know, on where this movie leaves the Guardians or where James 
leaves the Guardians scattered throughout the four wins as someone, eventually, Jeff Loveless, is going to have to put together a Kang Dynasty movie that now no one really knows what it's about. So I think to to really address it, we got to address, like, the real-world parts of it. You know, like, no one died, and they're all in different, they're different ways. But we know, for a fact, Big Dave ain't coming back. Done. He says, he, he basically said he's too old for this, and he's kind of outgrown this, and he wants to do other challenging things as an actor. Completely understand it. He, this got him to start. He's never like really bad mouth thing, but he's done and understandable because also with him, uh, for, for he's been in like five movies for three, four of the five, he's had to run around naked half the time, but not only naked, naked with paint and prosthesis on him that takes hours to put on. Yeah, he's done. Completely understand that. Uh, same is of Zoe Saldana. Uh, this week, in one of the interviews, I found out James, he cast her knowing that she didn't want to, like, she was only, she was always going to be a, she wanted to be a short-term player. Like, she didn't want to do it for long. Um, I think the way it spread out, it kind of worked for them. But he, he said he was going to, he planned on killing her too, and it changed his mind. But this is the end of the line for Gamora. Zoe outright said, I'm done. This this might not be the end of the garden. Well, I mean, and she's got many, 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 many more blue people in there. So she'll be fine. I'm not acknowledging that. Uh, but yeah, she said she it's the end of the line for her. It's not the end of the line for the Guardians. It's the end of the line for her and Gamora. And again, she's another one that's got to do that paint job stuff. And she's been vocal about how the paint messes with her skin and how she's not a fan of that. So you understand that. So while they're still alive, those two are not coming back ever. Uh, not not for any significant amount of time. I don't think Dave will ever come back. You might get Zoe to and they pop set, up. Yeah, and they they yeah they they set Dave up where he could like just he's there with the with them trying to take care of the children. Yeah, as long and and she's and she's just set there with the with the Ravagers. She's reembraced by the Ravagers at the end to go off and do their own thing again. So you don't really have to bring the Ravagers back, right? So, uh, uh, so yeah, they're off the table. Even though you could bring those, I mean, because Volume Two did set up tease the original Guardians from the comics, which takes basically those leader of Ravagers, which includes Michelle Yeoh, who would be like has two roles in MCU. Just want to throw that out there. Uh, but those two go. So Nebula's in nowhere on nowhere. However, since Batiste is gone. It kind of complicates going back to nowhere. So uh, I don't know. I think we might be done with Nebula. Kraken's also well. Kraken's part of the new group. <laughs> yeah, that's what that's why I said. Like they they have they have a solid core of new group that it contains people who are willing to do it. Because I'm pretty sure Bradley Cooper is all all for you know cashing a check and okay, just going yes. into a voice of a voice recording studio because that doesn't same thing with Vin Diesel. It doesn't doesn't require much of their time, energy, or oh. effort. And Diesel they pulled one of the girls. Yeah. Yeah. And and like and they, they pulled one of the rav- one of the, the stray girls who had special powers given to her by the high evolutionary into the group. I'm, I'm sure she's and, a character. I don't know who she is though. Yeah, and, and they like they did that thing and it works. Uh the the dog the the 
you know, Cosmo and then the little fur dog are also in there. But what's interesting, the most interesting thing to me is that they added Adam Warlock to the quote unquote new guardian. And that was a, to me an interesting, an interesting development. Uh, I was, I wasn't shocked by it. Because, I mean, the way the movie ends, it seems like that would be his newfound family. And Adam Warlock has a lot of history with the guardians. I'm not familiar with it. He may be a part of the guardians at some point or another. Again, not familiar with it, but you leave him in a good place. I think the I think the core of uh Rocket Groot and Adam Warlock and probably Cosmo, if we do another Guardians of some form, you'll get those. And the thing with most of those is they're mostly CG and it's only voice actors. So you can work around that and Will Poulter, who is he's only been in one movie, so you can probably swing them. I think you gotta play with around, play around with the other parts of the lineup. But the thing is, I don't think we're going toward a like. As much as I hate to say it, like I like we 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 went through this one of the last times on the podcast that like um, I'm a really big fan of Love and Thunder, and I thought that there was a thematically rich story there. I just thought it kind of got beaten to beaten to a bush because of you know the screaming goats which were the litmus test for that movie if you could stand the goats you know you could stand the movie um i think thor 4 and ant-man 3 kind of made them question which franchises they choose to continue which ones they don't and it might be a case here where while we do have a guardians lineup we don't necessarily have to do another guardians movie we can just have them as players on the chessboard for whenever kang's coming around yeah, and I I think that's what happens with them. We'll see them in Kang, but I don't think we if we get another Guardians movie, it's we're like five, six years down the line. We're nowhere I don't think we're anywhere close to getting another Guardians movie. Mostly because I mean they have other things they're still planned out for other things uh, so far down the line. They don't Yeah, you have so many other movie. franchises. That that's that's the thing. That's what uh Iger said, you know, they can be selective about which franchise they get sequels to because they've got so many. Right. And this, and again, it would be hard to do a Guardians movie that is not James Gunn, and that's not an option anymore. At least until David Zasloff and company decide that they want to sell Warner Brothers again in two years. So, even well, at this point, even if they decide to sell Warner Brothers after, as long as Guardians does business, which I think it will, and the reception. Uh, it looked kind of shaky with the critics at one point, but Rotten Tomatoes has it solid at an 80. Uh, I think the audience is going to like it more than the critics. Uh, whoever would be. Yeah, I, I could see I could see a $180 million opening weekend that leads to somewhere around four or five hundred, four, four, three fifty or 400 domestic. And, you know, that those are those are really good numbers to start your summer off. If it makes $180 million domestic, they'll be doing cartwheels because it as of now, it was tracking for like, well, last time I looked, it was tracking at like 120. If it does 180, that's more than volume two. And it just needs to end up, you know, I think if it ends up at eight, I think that's a win. Yeah. Which is right around where Thor was, seven, 785, something like that. I think, I think it's the problem that you, I think, I think uh, the problem that you've run into now is everybody's standard is a billion or bust. Yeah, that that's the thing. I don't, if fans have that thought, fine. The studio should never have that thought. 
unless it's like some stupid unless it's a no-brainer like Avengers like the Avengers sequels after uh after Age of Ultron hit a billion okay the standard is set these things make a billion dollars those are like that's like the only franchise I would say has to make a billion everything else if it does who if not fine I think the expectations should be between seven and eight the studio is probably expecting like eight uh, but as long as it goes over seven, I think they're fine. Yeah. And then, like I said, if if we're getting a James Gunn 2025 Superman movie, it's just a matter of who owns Warner Brothers at that point. <laughs> well, uh, depending on the writer's strike, uh, I, I would imagine that will be... Sh- that those, be sh- those typically run... Six, the, the, longest, the longest recorded writer's strike, I think, is 18 weeks. So that's yeah. not significantly enough. That's not significant enough to push down, push back film, film production. It's, it's television production that gets really in, in late night television and that kind of a thing. Scripted television is what, what gets hit the hardest with writer strikes. So, well, so that movie should still, should still be starting next early next year. So they can't sell off one of those that quick. They might sell it by the time the movie comes out. But production, the movie will be produced and pretty much made if they decide to sell it before. So, hey, we'll be in the barn. All right, so let's end this podcast with a uh, a solid box office prediction. I'm going to say that it ends up uh, doing $155 million opening weekend. What say you, sir, domestically? 155 uh, domestic, I'll say 200 uh, international puts it at 255, under 300 million worldwide opening weekend. Uh, you price is right because I was going to say around 150, so I'll, I'll stick with it. I'll say 150. Um, the like worldwide, we made 150 here. You know, somewhere around, I guess close to 280, somewhere around there, maybe. Uh, I just kind of pulled that one out the keister, but yeah, I think it has to do over 120. And I think it will. Um, and then it just depends on the other markets. And I think it, I think the word, I think what has been a detriment to Marvel the last few movies uh, outside of Wakanda Forever has been word of mouth. I think word of mouth on Thor. Yeah, Wakanda Forever and Doctor Strange had, had good word of mouth. Yeah. Everything else has kind of been, eh. has been tepid at best. And I think the, the word of mouth uh, is what tank, well, not tank, but what, Got Thor from getting to eight, and I think word of mouth is what killed word of mouth plus the reception of Thor is what killed Ant Man. This one is established, everybody knows it's the end, and it's going to have good word of mouth. I think it'll have, uh, you know, at least two weeks worth of legs to make most of his money, indeed. So that all about do it for this week's podcast. If you want to keep up with this podcast, you can follow me at BCW Tiger Fan, the official Stan account of Pepper Potts. And uh, if you want to follow uh, Chad there, he is at the Mets Theory. Um, he is not a Pepper Potts supporter, however, um, but he, he might be a member of the House of Sanchez at some point. Who knows? We'll see. Uh, oh, last note on the movie. I appreciate them starting with uh, this whole series with coming get your love and ending the series with coming get your love that's it I'm done indeed alright thank you very much and have a pleasant evening